0: Skype recording call. Recording we were just discussing Douglas Adams, Michael. Ah, yeah, very good. Yeah, uh, and, yeah how, I, and how I am a man of my convictions.
1: <laughs> well, no, i You know, I just what? I admit some of the stuff. That I was
2: back on the phone. Oh, it's okay. Hello, Rachel. Know, I I t- hey, Rachel. Ever- everyone says hi. She says F- off. <laughs> She said hello.
1: Okay.
3: You are listening to just one of the guys where the host's voice loss has stuck around longer than the villain in the Green Lantern story.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. This is an internet radio show dedicated to bringing you coverage of the Green Lantern comics from June 1990 until cover date. Let me try that again. From cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004, with a special emphasis on the two characters I'm going to be focusing on in these issues, Mr. Kyle Rayner and Mr. Guy Gardner. And once again, I have been lucky enough to hook the, uh, special talents of mr. Michael Bailey hey and mr. Thomas DJ hello to come back and review these episodes in fact
0: that I used to know <laughs>
1: really <laughs> thank you got ye oh go got got you, yes got thats you. right <laughs> don't you hate those you know for the longest time uh, before I knew how to pronounce the band I thought the band's name was Inks, until I realized no, it's actually excess. I was like, well, why? What's this band Inks? I really love their songs."
0: Well, you know, I'm at a, uh, you know, I work at a, a sporting goods store. When I'm not writing, and um, it puts my teeth on edge every time somebody comes in going, "Yo, yo, I want the new Nikes." <laughs> you got the new Nikes? Uh, uh, or my favorite you. was when. Uh, uh, they, they, there's like it was like a, a Jordan style called the Bordeaux because they're they're a certain shade of purple, like wine. Mm-hmm. They kept calling him the Bordocks
2: <laughs> uh, Okay, guys, I, I'm gonna cut in right here and say at least with Nike's, you have all of the letters of the word. Yeah, unlike people who come in and want something from their Limar printer. <laughs> Instead of Lexmark, uh, so, and by the way, printers don't have cartridges. Computers have cartridges because I also have people constantly coming in and going, "I need a uh, cartridge for my computer." And if they have a computer that prints, I really want to see this thing because that's got to be impressive. Well, that maybe they just got an old
1: Cray from the uh, from the uh, like Soviet Union that they borrowed that actually does print. It could, you never know. That would be awesome. But uh, we're not here to talk about you know antiquated <laughs> antiquated computers. We're here to talk about Green Lantern and Guy Gardner. So, mm-hmm. as usual, I'm going to put a couple of promos in here, and after the break, we will come back with, and I don't know how I able to, uh, how I managed to get these guys to do it, but the review of Green Lantern number fifty one by Mister Michael Bailey. Yay.
3: Yay! Here comes the nineties,
1: folks. I sense a disturbance in the force. You always sense a disturbance in the
3: force I don't like this No!
2: He really pissed me off. Oh no! <laughs>
3: it's a trap! Mm-hmm. Chewie, get us out of here! You can't run. Ow! Help, Help me! Or two! Ah! Ah! This is where the fun begins. Star Wars Monthly Mondays. Available the first Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. The Bronze Age of Comics. An era largely ignored as far as Superman goes, and an era that some consider to still be part of the Silver Age. Sure, a lot of people know about the Kryptonite Nevermore storyline, where all the Kryptonite on Earth is turned to iron and Clark Kent goes from a newspaper reporter to a TV reporter. Then there are the Alan Moore stories, for the man who has everything and whatever happens to the man of tomorrow. But in an era that lasted 15 years, surely there's more to the Bronze Age than that, right? Well, my name is Charlie Niemeyer, and every other week, I shine the spotlight on this long-overlooked era of Superman in the Bronze Age. Featuring such stories as the return of Jonathan Kent, two meetings with the amazing Spider-Man, the Phantom Zone miniseries, the enlarging of Krypton, and more. Plus, J. David Weeder also joins in to take a look at Superboy's Bronze Age adventures. So join in the fun at www.supermaninthebronzeage.com and www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And we are back. So, Michael,
1: since uh, I obviously have some sort of uh, letter that says that you were at a certain place at a certain time that you shouldn't have been, and I'm holding this against you, I have somehow coerced you into doing the synopsis for Green Lantern 51. Take you it away,
2: coerced. sir. You say coerced, I say blackmail, tomato, tomato. Yeah. Well, it... this is... <laughs> now, this is not only Green Lantern 51, this is the all-new Green Lantern number 51, complete with new logo and everything. Mm-hmm. It all begins here. It, it does all begin here. It was written by Ron Mars... Penciled by Daryl Banks. Uh, inked by Romeo Tangal, Steve Madison did the colors. Albert de Guzman did the letters. And I'm kind of of the opinion that I think Albert de Guzman lettered every comic that DC put out in the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, Eddie Berganza is the assistant editor. And you have to look at a car to see that Kevin Dooley is the editor. We open on Kyle Rayner introducing himself. And by introducing himself... As first, I mean... First. <laughs> And by introducing himself, I mean he gets thrown through a window by a supervillain named Om. That's right, Ohm. As in the electrical unit, because this is comic books, and that's how characters get their names. Anyway, the new Green Lantern recovers, and decides the best course of action is to just throw himself at him. This works out about as well as you would imagine, and after knocking Kyle to the ground, Ohm moves in for the kill, and this leads us into a Thomas DJ-style... FLOW! flashback begins soon after the last issue ended. Kyle knocks on the door of his would-be girlfriend, Alex, and after some romantic comedy-style banter with a 90s flair, Kyle reveals that he's the new Green Lantern. Well, actually, he just shows off his costume and everything. He really has no idea who he is. Alex takes it all in stride. Actually, she doesn't. She wonders what kind of stunt Kyle is is pulling because Kyle's a young guy in his early 20s, so obviously he's always trying to pull some kind of stunt. Alex is the one to explain that Kyle is Green Lantern because apparently he never heard of the character, or if he did, apparently he never really paid attention to the costume. Kyle is convinced that this ring could make make everything work, including their relationship, and after some good old-fashioned charming, Alex agrees that he can stay the night, just not in bed with her. The next morning, she wakes him up rather unceremoniously and tells him that he will be joining her as she takes pictures of a supervillain tearing up the city. Once they reach where Ohm is attacking, Alex tells Kyle to stay put. Because, well, I really don't know why. I mean, he's got a Green Lantern ring. This is what Green Lantern does. I guess she just doesn't trust him or something. Kyle stays put for five seconds and then makes his grand appearance as Green Lantern. Kyle confronts Ohm and proceeds to get his ass handed to him pretty darn quick, and that catches us up to the present. Alex yells that Kyle needs to protect himself, which leads him to finally form a shield. Ohm and Kyle exchange a few more blows before Kyle manages to not only take him down, but cut him out of his armor. Crowd cheers, Alex takes some pictures, and Kyle embarrasses himself a bit before Alex gets him out of there. Later, they sit and watch the sunset and talk about the fact that Kyle needs his own identity. So he whips up a new costume, and thus, the new Green Lantern is officially born. So Meanwhile, at the Slab, a maximum security facility that will change continents uh, somewhere down the line, two guards race towards trouble, and find that trouble is Mongol, who has a really, really, really big mad on for Green Lantern. That's the end of the issue. Tonight. Yeah, there, there 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 is a lot of nineties in here, isn't there? Oh, Enter. Lord. Like a like a lot. <laughs> like oh my OMG. Uh, OMG for
0: OHM, apparently. Yes. <laughs>
2: um I love this cover. <laughs> I absolutely love this cover. This is the cover that when I walked into that comic shop back in ninety-four and saw it on the rack next to issues 52 and 53 that made me go, ooh, that looks interesting. And thus, my affair with Kyle Rayner
1: began. I really like the the difference that they've got in the lantern symbol, that it's got a sort of yin-yang type look. The only thing Mm -hmm. that I I am kind of confused by are the speed lines that they have on the left side there that gives it a sort of 3D effect, because it doesn't really work with the... uh, with the rest of the image, but other, than I think that, it's,
0: it's supposed been, to be the speed lines of of how Kyle, or Kyle, a Kyle coming at you.
1: That's it. But yeah, it's a good drawing of Kyle, and you know, it's a, it's a unique costume. Uh, very very nineties, though. Yep, crab the crab mask. mask, as everybody called it. Well, it 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 does cover a lot more of his face, and it is. You know, they'll they'll talk about this in you know later issues and actually later stories how the how the crab mask actually conceals more of his face in order to conceal a secret identity which and then which Stan
0: Lee well. came visiting from Marvel Comics and said why don't Green Lantern have a nose <laughs> that led to about three months of him having a nose and then the nose got forgotten
2: I don't know why, why know we why let Stan come in and dictate terms we'll never know. <laughs> I like
1: uh, on page one how it uh, opens in a lingerie store. That's that's always awesome. Uh,
2: well, we've got to have TNA in the in the book, so why not open it up in Franklin's of Hollywood? Yes, the crotchless panties down there on the uh, bo- well, sort of the
1: bottom left corner is really nice. That's classy touch there.
2: <laughs> I um, my. <laughs> It's kind of interesting, they really wanted to get the uh hints that uh that this was like rodeo drive, basically, so you have a Chanel store uh I like Dooley's um, mm-hmm. I'm glad to see that that restaurant chain goes beyond metropolis and the daily planet that that makes me kind of happy um last episode, we kind of talked about you know how uh and especially Thomas talked about the artwork not being as solid uh, uh, in this issue as it was in the previous issue. And I think you really get that sense. It's kind of funny because we have this two-page spread. We have Kyle in the bottom left-hand corner looking angry and like he has purple hair because that was Mm -hmm. the coloring of the time. Uh, We have pretty decent backgrounds. I mean, it's a street. It's obviously supposed to be in Beverly Hills. We have cars turned over. And then we have Alex on the right-hand side who doesn't look like her, like she would in the rest of the issue. Alex
0: changes there are at least three times in this issue where Alex looks like she's being played by a different actress.
2: hmm I'll agree with that.
0: And uh, there are some weird, like, uh, I'm trying to, let me see if I can find the, the, the panel. There's this one thing where she's, like, doing something with her arm, and the arm just looks so, like, it looks like she's broken it, even though that's not the intention.
2: Ohm as a character is, okay, does he? is it me or is he supposed to have like dreadlocks? Yes. Well,
1: because everyone so. in the 90s has dreadlocks. This is the post-Predator age, and if you're badass, you have dreadlocks.
2: But he has armor, he's got energy powers. I mean, at least, I will say this for the design, it looks like there's a power source there uh, on his shoulders, which feed yeah. to the, the gauntlets. Uh, I kind of appreciate that, because most of the time they just have armor with people blasting stuff out of it, and you're like, how does that work? Uh, and then and then someone goes, just go with it, it's supposed to look cool. And you're like, okay, but really, no, seriously, how does I that bet work? I he got
0: the armor from Blue Beetle.
1: Wow. Well, there was no tubes coming out of the back, so it can't be from Blue Beetle. <laughs> okay.
2: The whole sequence of Kyle with Alex uh, in the flashback... <laughs> It's almost like James Robinson saw Kyle in those first two pages and said, you know, I could do a hero like that. (laughs) Leather jacket, black hair, yeah. And I'm not saying that Jack Knight is a response to Kyle Rayner. I'm just saying the two should have gotten along a lot better than they did uh, and hung out more. Um,
0: Do you think that somewhere uh, in, in, I don't know, wherever it is, whatever... Rocky crawled out from under. Jeff Johns was reading this and decided, you know, that make a great it that make a great uh shot in a movie. You know, <laughs> yeah. on Page I, 6.
2: The um the the thing about this um whole take on Kyle is it just rereading this issue reaffirms the fact that the Green Lantern that we saw in the film was more Kyle Rayner than Hal Jordan mm-hmm. which is really amusing because of how they've pushed Hal so much over the course of the last you know 10 years in the comics that when they he finally gets a big budget movie instead of going for kind of a more standard like chiseled leading man who could kind of put you know pull off what they were going for, they get a guy who's kind of irresponsible and doesn't want the gig right away. Mm-hmm. And that's Kyle. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's totally Kyle. So I will hand it off to Daryl Banks that he makes Alex look sexy and just wearing that shirt without showing too much skin. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I really want to know how she got the guy that she brought home to her apartment that night out of her apartment without Kyle noticing, because that's obviously not her shirt. Maybe it's Kyle's shirt. If she's kind of broken up with him, would she wear his shirt to bed? If she
0: doesn't, you know, it's the day before laundry day. Yeah, that's what I was okay. thinking. Okay, laundry okay, okay. I mean, I mean, no I prize. mean one, it's just uh, really weird. I'll say this. I think that, that this, is, this sequence is the sequence where I like the way Banks portrays Alex the best.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: She's sexy, but she's not like uber-hot supermodel boobs-out babe.
1: Well, sometimes you know the 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 people who are the most sexy are the people yeah. who reveal uh, just enough, not the least, but they they give you a glimpse because it's really easy to go, oh wow, that girl's yeah. sexy when she's got you know her boobs hanging out. And the, I'm gonna and say, I think also, he's got a Star good
0: Fire. command. Oh, I'm sorry, Josh. I'm sorry. No, I was,
1: I was I was gonna say you know modern day Starfire, but yeah,
0: know, and I also think that he's that's a lot of interesting uh, he's very effective with the the facial expressions on her in this sequence as well
2: the thing about this scene though and maybe it's because I'm reading it as you know a 36 year old man compared to literally half a lifetime ago uh, when I was only when I was 18 and this this whole sequence seems whole so stereotypical now mm-hmm He's kind of a slacker, and he doesn't have his life together, and he wants to get back with his girlfriend. She's kind of still into him, but she's not completely sold on it. So she lets him stay the night, but he can't sleep in the bed with her, which proves that this is a 90s comic and not a comic from today. Um,
0: Yeah, So apparently Ron Morris saw Reality Bites the night before.
2: I was about to say that this, this 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 is really I mean you know we kind of poked fun at it in the last episode, but leather jacket quaffed hair nine inch nails t-shirt i mean this these are the dudes I went to college with and had to put up with over the course of you know you know the middle of the nineties, which one makes him a hero of the time but two does not age this story well right. true um apparently Kyle sleeps in the buff. Um, Yeah, I
1: think that was a nice, uh, well-placed blanket there, making sure that he he didn't see little Kyle. And and what
0: is Scarlet doing here? Oh, wait, that's supposed to be Alex.
1: (laughs) I thought it was uh, Laura Croft, actually, but it could have been.
2: Whatever. (laughs) It's the prototype to Laura Croft. Um, I can't believe... Okay, on one hand, it's really odd, but on the other hand, I have to hand it off to Mars that he doesn't do the stereotypical thing of once Kyle sees danger he jumps into it. In fact, Alex tells him to stay put. And he does looking like Jack Knight. Um Oh yeah, he's got some douche glasses there. Oh. And and I'm not saying the I'm not saying that Jack Knight I hope that one sentence doesn't lead to another and people think that I think that Jack Knight's a douche because I love Starman. No. But, you know, again, the the style of the character was very similar but he just thinks about it, and and what occurred to me while watching this is that this is the '90s version of a hero emerging. It isn't, you know. I have this power, so I'm going to stand here in a very nice pose and make my vow to the world. And the next time I see trouble, I'm going to jump into it. He's just sitting there. It's just like, okay, uh, you go do your thing. I'm just going to sit here and watch. Head like a hole. Blackish is so I'm... okay. <laughs> screw it. I'm going to go into it. Well, on the fact
1: that he goes into it with the simple idea that the Green Lantern ring is going to do everything for him, and he's not going to have to think about it, and he's not going to have to, you know, the simple fact that he's Green Lantern now means that he'll be able to take out this uh, supervillain as as easy as pie, which you know comes to not be the case.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's like, you see this ring, don't you? So. Um, yeah, so this ring is more than you can handle, believe me, and he just, I mean, it's only Alex yelling out that make, that leads him to make a shield, and here's an interesting thing, and I don't know if they did this on purpose, eventually Kyle's constructs are going to get very complicated and very ornate, because he is a graphic artist, but the first thing he thinks of is a shield, so it's just a disc, So he's obviously just learning how to use this whole thing. I do love artistically on page 14 when he gets hit by the lightning, his hair stands up. Well, and another thing that I've noticed, and this is kind of subtle that they're using,
1: most of the uh, energy that he's being hit by, surprisingly enough, is yellow. And this is something that will come to, you know, it's, it's just subtly done here. Uh, and if you're not really paying attention, you might not notice it until later, but uh, they'll come up later in the issues that yellow seems to not be a problem for Green Lanterns anymore, so
2: it's kind of neat that they put that in there as well. He makes a Prince Albert joke on page 16. I don't think kids in the 90s, even in the 90s, knew <laughs> No. what a Prince Albert... Well, I'm sure it, uh, most of the teenagers and, and young adults of the 90s, when they heard Prince Albert, were thinking of something very different. Um than, so you know, sorry, like an old, like an old joke. Albert. Um, Probably something to do with uh, jewelry of some kind. But um, anyways, uh, I do like how Kyle really just doesn't understand what he's doing. I love on the bottom of page 17, thank you, thank you. I was merely doing my heroic duty, as any one of you might. Okay, hero, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, seriously, I've got more. Um, page 18, we have to show that we're on the, uh, the West Coast, uh, because not only is Kyle wearing a USC sweatshirt, but Alex is... What's Kathy
0: Ireland doing here?
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Apparently, uh, apparently she's something of a Raiders fan. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if she's really a fan of the team, or she just wandered into a sporting goods store and liked the colors. Uh, I don't like to make assumptions about people, so... Mm -hmm.
1: Well, it was hip and trendy at the time, so why not?
0: Well, you know, I mean, the Raiders—they're um, still, even though they at this point they had been gone from LA for about three years, there's still like a great deal of loyalty in in LA to the to that team. So
1: we'll, we'll defer to you with the uh, yes. football knowledge because I, I can't speak for Mike, but my football knowledge is: oh, my wife likes the Green Bay Packers. Right. So there you go.
2: Um my football knowledge right now is the Falcons are playing on Sunday. And uh yeah, it, it, it's really interesting to see uh little little funny thing that happened at the stadium last weekend when they started uh trying to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory in the last quarter. <laughs> Everyone started leaving. Oh, uh, that's... We're gonna beat traffic, so
1: Let's let's hear it for Fairweather fans. Ah, uh, yes.
2: And, and Atlanta is full of them. Um, now, last episode, we commented that we get this really cool shot of Parallax standing there, and we get a signature here in page 19 is where that idea is done better, because there is no signature, and it looks more organic to the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, This is also one of those images of Kyle outside of the one on the cover that would be used again and again and again in stories about Green Lantern through the course of the 90s, uh, at least as far as Wizard Magazine went. Um, The whole ending, though... Now, the slab. slab slab Slabside Island Maximum Security Penitentiary. Now, one of you can correct me on this. Don't they eventually move this to the Arctic? Um... Because there was a penitentiary. Because that's that's kind of how um, that Joker event started, where they. Oh, the last laugh. Yeah, the last laugh started. I thought with mm. them breaking out the slab, but it was in the Arctic.
0: Maybe it's a franchise.
2: Maybe they've got slabs. You know,
1: uh, maybe it's not just one prison. Maybe it's you know a series of prisons. You know?
2: But man, we get a we get a whole page of people talking about the slab. Um. Now, page twenty one we see shrapnel, uh, I think that's major force,
0: force yeah, and that's who I'm shatter thinking. fist
1: Shatterf- okay. okay thank you yeah, I was wondering who that because i I, I recognize major force in the third one, and in the second one that's shrapnel, shrapnel I believe. and
2: then okay, Shatterfist, okay <laughs> and Eric Larson uh designed villain oddly enough, hmm. Um, from his Doom Patrol run yeah. with Paul Kupperberg, uh, is actually bringing... kind of outlived um,
0: anything else that Paul Kupperberg created for that uh, mm-hmm. that period.
2: Though, though it is amusing to find out years later that all of the stuff he did in the last issue was at the request of Grant Morrison and not as an fu. So that's nice to know. Um, Mongol shows up, and here is okay. Whenever they introduce a new villain. Uh, into the DC universe, especially in a Marvel too, but we'll go with DC. Like they they introduce Doomsday and he kills Superman. But when they bring him back, who does he go up against? He goes up against Darkseid and wins. And basically that was to show, hey, this is how badass Doomsday is. With a hero, you kind of have to put them up against the heavyweight to prove that they can hack it right away. Mm -hmm. And it kind of works better. And in terms of the storyline, it makes sense that Mongol would have this huge mad-on for Green Lantern. So him facing off against Green Lantern does a couple things. One, it it says we haven't forgotten what happened before. And two, you can kind of bring Superman into it, so you can have the 70s old-fashioned, it's the third issue, Superman's going to swing by and say hi to your new hero.
0: Mm-hmm. As opposed to so, the 80s, where it's the third issue, they got to fight Bolt.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's 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 kind of interesting. This Everything you love about Kyle is not in this issue. Because it's obvious, as we were talking about last time, Mars is just getting his feet wet with the character. He's very kind of two-dimensional slacker in this issue. However... There's enough meat on that bone to like, mm-hmm. especially with his relationship with Alex, who I, who I liked right away. And I got to tell you, as, as an 18-year-old kid who is just starting to dip his toe into the larger world of comics, going beyond the Superman, Batman, and Flash comics he's read, finding this at that time and getting in on the ground floor is one of the main reasons Kyle is so special to me, because then I can, you know, I can feel like he's my Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. And I don't, and you know, I'm at that point where people would say, "Well, that's not my whatever character," and I'm like, eh, "Okay, I understand what you're saying," but really, it, it was a total lark that I picked this up. Uh, we, I never, we didn't have senior skip day for some reason, uh, but what we did have is we had the senior picnic. Uh, at Emmaus, and me and my friend Eric, who was listening to Nine Inch Nails at the, uh, at the time, by the way, so it's kind of apropos that he's wearing the t-shirt, um, drove up to the picnic, looked at everybody, looked at each other, and went, you know, let's go to the mall. So I still had time to kill uh, after I dropped him off at home, because I didn't want, you know, my for some reason I, I was like, I didn't want my dad to know that I had not gone to the picnic, and how am I going to explain getting to home so early from work and uh, from school? So I just happened to stop by the comic book shop because I realized, hey, I've got a license and a little money in my pocket. I'm 18 years old. I can go to the comic shop all by myself.
0: I got $20 in my pocket. Yeah. I'm
2: Sorry. And. Like I said earlier, in this episode, I walk into the shop, I'm looking at the racks, and the first three issues of the Kyle Rayner run are sitting there. And it's just like, boom, boom, boom. And I just fell in love with the character. Uh, so it's hard for me to be critical of this story, even though there's things about it that are a little wonky.
1: Well, but it's it for, for a first issue, uh, setting up the character, even though... Um... Kyle will mature and will change a bit over the course of the uh, issues, over the course of the series. It, it's a good setup for him. It uh, reveals, yes, the very stereotypical 90s sort of slacker character. Uh, it reveals that he's trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life. It sets up the relationship with him and Alex. It's a, it's a really good starting point for the character, and it is definitely a change from the uh, old guard of the Green Lantern book. And, you know, whether or not it's a change for the better is, you know, for the history books. But I think it's a really good beginning for the character. Mm
0: -hmm. Tom? Okay. Um, Now, I should point out that I was picking up Green Lantern regularly back in 94. This issue, for some reason, is the only issue of that run stretching back to the first issue all the way up to about 126 or so. Mm-hmm. When Ben Rabe take, took over, uh, that I had never been able to read until today. Wow. Hmm. I was never able to find this issue for some reason. Um, looking at it from now, uh, first off, it, it's obvious that Mars is still trying to feel his way around. It's obvious to me that Ohm is literally a plot device that walks like a man.
1: Yeah, he's never referenced anywhere in the Green Lantern books and any other book as far as I know.
0: He's just there to have Kyle learn about his powers, pretty much. I mean, he doesn't even get any sort of backstory other than a couple of lines of dialogue in uh, as Laura Alex is <laughs> in Kyle to the scene of the crime. Um, I have to wonder, though. Okay, I'm, I'm reading some of this stuff. Uh, the the Alex-Kyle stuff, particularly the stuff in the the last scene, the scene on the beach. I have to wonder if she was always intended to end up where she ended up in about nine issues time.
3: Oops. What Thomas actually meant to say was about three issues time. It was early in the morning, so you can cut him a little slack.
2: Hmm. You know...
0: We you to have to bring it up, I guess.
2: Yeah. Well, the th- the thing is, is I, I don't. But at the same time, I don't want to cut into, uh, you know, g- give too much away of what uh, Sean's going to be talking about. That. No. But at the same time, just just kind of dealing it in the in the general. While the idea of the girlfriend dying has become very cliched. Uh, And the fact the entire term women in refrigerators comes from this. Looking at it from purely the story point and from the progression of Kyle and for heroes at this time, you know, Lois Lane was there from the beginning. Carol Ferris was bat crazy from the beginning. And I'm sorry that you have to bleep that. I apologize. That's fine. But but still, Um, Iris West died. But that was, you know, 1979, and then they brought her back a couple, you know, like, you know, six, seven years later. You know, all of the girlfriends of characters outside of Gwen Stacy who didn't die right away either, um, they usually stick around. And to have a guy become a hero unwittingly, and then have to face that kind of thing, does have a lot of story potential even if it can be considered cliche, just because something's cliche doesn't mean that it's one, not good. And two doesn't have potential to tell a good story because what I understand the whole idea behind women in refrigerators, but I think it took on a life of its own beyond what Gail Simone intended. And people started tacking things onto that. Like, well, every time a female character's name is given to a male character, you know, like captain Marvel, you know, there was a female Captain Marvel, but then they gave it to a guy, and or gave it back to a guy, and that's that's women in refrigeration. No, it's not. It's not in even any sense of the word. Yeah, and yeah, I, I can... Go ahead, go ahead sorry. Michael, sorry. Go ahead, Michael. No, that was pretty much the end of my thought. <laughs> I mean,
0: the reason I, I think about this is that he brings up in this scene, he brings up, oh, we should do this, we should go to New York, mm-hmm. which makes me think that the intention was always that, Kyle was going to operate out of New York. Maybe he even had the idea of, let's throw him together with Donna. Let's throw him together with an older woman. Um, Right from the start, and that this building up Alex over the next nine issues is a reason, it it kind of bolsters his choice to get out of L.A. If we can go to page 19 for a second, the pinup. And we can look beyond that weird, giant, mutated baby arm that Alex is holding over her head.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> is it just be, uh, or does she, or is she kind of? It's it, judging from the dialogue and and her and her body language, she's kind of just saying, "Yeah, that has possibilities." Just to like placate her, her whoopee.
2: Yeah, like what's with those gauntlets? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I can kind of see the outfit. It's black. Uh, and I've always loved this this yeah. look for Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. Um, because like you said, Sean, that, that logo, the yin-yang elements of that logo make it very striking. Yeah. Um, not I also something like you, how
0: that you've got like the, the flared black as if it's radiating from that lantern symbol.
3: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I, 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 I'll tell you, I don't think Kyle has ever looked has never looked right in any other outfit that he's had.
2: No, every time they try to change it and it's always, and, and again, it, it's kind of ironic that Kyle's outfit gets changed for the same reason Kyle came into being Green Lantern in the first place is, Oh, that old stuff. Stupid. Um, you know, when Jim Lee gave him his, you know, like, you know, nightclubbing biker look.
0: Oh uh, yes, Jim, uh... let's put a collar
2: on him, Lee. Um, and, and then, you know, every look he's had since then just has never felt right to me, mainly because it always feels like change for the sake of change. I mean, he's not the wasp who, you know, (laughs) we're going to be sexist (laughs) and have her change her costume because she's a girl. Um, You know, this costume stays around for a really long time and gets turned and, you know, it's, it's the one that got the action figure in both the total justice and JLA lines. Yep. And, I just think that when they changed it during Winnick's run, uh, which I enjoyed quite a bit, by the way. I really liked Judd Winnick's run. It's like Green the Green.
0: first and last thing I ever liked that Judd Winnick ever did.
2: Um, you know, it, it just seemed like they were changing it for the sake of change. It's like his, his Ion costume made sense because he's becoming something different. Mm-hmm. But, and yeah, this is very 90s, so in the 2000s it may have looked kind of weird, but I think they could have just toned down certain elements of this costume, because the body of the costume is still perfect. Mm-hmm. I mean, the black broken up with that white is really striking, and I always liked the crab mask.
1: Yeah. Well, it it, it differentiates, like like we've said before, it differentiates him from the other lanterns, plus mm-hmm. it also gives him an amount of, a larger amount of anonymity, because... You know, say what you will about the Green Lantern film, with the little mask that Hal had on in there. Carol saw through that in, in like in thirty minute. seconds. She was like, "Hal? Hal? Oh, I've Hal. seen
0: your. Of co- <laughs> course, I'm going to know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> Explicit? Okay,
1: there we go. Remember, beeping
2: is always funnier. <laughs> it
0: is.
1: Um, but yeah, I you know I've got to say it's a really good origin issue uh yeah Alex Alex drawing the way she's drawn in the issue does change quite a bit but it's a great beginning to this new green lantern and mm-hmm. uh it's it's interesting to find out that eventually he's going to be the only one and for the entire universe we used to have uh you know 30 you know well in the run Prior to this, you know, there were thirty six hundred, and then they built it up again after the Guardians went and made Magic whoopee with the Zamoronians or whatever. But it, now it's only from the entire universe. There's only one Green Lantern, so that's that's something uh, pretty epic. And the fact that they're giving you this new character this amount of of power and prestige is just you know really awesome and despite the fact that his costume might be a bit 90s. But not as 90s as what we're going to be dealing with here in the next issue.
2: Well, well and, and let's touch on that for a second. Be, you know, him being the only um, Green Lantern. Yes, it was kind of shoved down our throats like everything else with Kyle. Uh, kind that, of like
0: Doctor you know, Who, it, they, they do that, the, the modern
2: thing. Yeah, oh, it's, I'm the it's ol- like... Yeah. He doesn't he's he's not immune to yellow cuz that's stupid and he's the only green lantern which makes him unique. Okay, let's let's back it up. He's not immune to yellow. That's okay. You know, you can argue that all day long. He's the only green lantern. Now, if you hear some green lantern fans talk, it's like the reason for them that Hal Jordan is such an awesome green lantern is that he's one of many. And yeah, there is a really, you know, cool it's a really cool idea you know to rip off the lensman and turn that into a comic book series um but on the other hand there is something about being one of many that does make i mean the only thing that makes how unique at that point is his personality and how had trouble with personality a lot of the time i mean let's let's, i mean there there were there were eras as as both uh Thomas and I have talked about over on views from the long box where he was really interesting. And then there's eras where he's wandering around space for a year and it's boring as hell. Snooze fast. So there, 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 there's, there's something about, you know, the idea of being part of this larger team. And then you have the, how do I want to say this? Uh, you have the larger, you know, like, um, the The imagination it requires to create all of those lanterns, and you know, the we are the core is kind of cool. But on the other hand, it is just as interesting to take that concept for a while, because Kyle Kyle's not the only Green Lantern throughout the entirety of his run, you know. But so for a couple of years, say take all that away, which is kind of what they did with Hal. <laughs> You know, until they brought the core back. Mm -hmm. So, it makes Kyle an interesting Green Lantern, because not only does he have to deal with the fact that he doesn't know anything about what he's doing, but that he is the last of this legacy of characters. You know, he is the only one left in the universe with this ring. And that's that to me is just kind of that's kind of fascinating, really. Well, and it's big
1: shoes to fill, and uh, it's interesting that we see uh, along the line of the development of his, of his character, not only in the Green Lantern books but in the Morrison JLA books, how he falls into the role of being the last Green Lantern and how he mm-hmm. evolves with that and how he becomes an even better lantern, in my opinion, than Hal Jordan may have done. It, you know, he was doing some things that would even dwarf what uh, Hal Jordan would do in the books. I mean, uh, it it just goes to show that they started out with an interesting uh, sort of very 90s type character and expanded him into, you know, what I think was perhaps one of the best Green Lanterns ever written. But my opinion may not be everyone else's. Thomas, you got anything else?
0: I, I do. I mean, you, you hit something when you mentioned um, Grant Morrison's JLA run. I always got the impression that Morrison and Ron Mars are the only people who really understood what Kyle was going through, so to speak. Because you look at how he's portrayed in other people's books when he starts doing the guest star circuit, and it's all about, you know, you're not how mm-hmm. you, you're not how. And it seemed like... I always thought that that Morrison... And that Morrison also, oddly enough, was the only person who really got the, the Superman blue stuff as well.
2: Outside of the Superman titles, I'll agree with that.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, um, yeah, I mean, Morrison... Morrison makes up for the fact that he gave us the Batman that we got for the next, like, 15 years after mm-hmm. his run that, on J.L.A. Um, with the fact that he took Kyle and gave him more respect than any other writer outside of Mars would give him and kind of did away finally with made the, and something that always bothered me, um, the, the Wally treated him like crap when he first yeah. hit the scene, Yes, which always bothered me because all Wally put up with when he first became the flash was people telling him he wasn't Barry. So you would think that he would be a little sensitive to that type of thing and not do the exact same thing, which is what he did. And in Morrison's JLA is where they became like the two guys that are around the same age that just raz each other all the time like it's a frat house.
0: Look at it this way, Michael. Um, because of the close friendship between Barry and Hal, I'm sure Wally must have looked upon Hal as family. yeah. And how would that feel, even if you've gone just been gone through that crap? How would that feel if some kid your own age shows up and says, "Hey, I'm the replacement for your beloved old Uncle Hal"?
2: Yeah, I, I see that. I, I get that. I, you know, it, it's something I understand. Plus, you need drama in these things, mm-hmm. and sometimes things will happen. And 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 you know, there is a difference between a character being written out of character to suit a plot and a character acting kind of out of character because it's the organic piece of storytelling for the drama of the piece, you know? And I think another thing was, and, you know, as much as I love, you know, my era of DC is, you know, from, you know, from 1986 to 2006, that's when I, you know, I look at all of that as kind of like when I was, when it was written for me, uh, if that doesn't sound too egotistical. um, and there was a lot during that time of people, of people's like, oh, well, we're going to do this just to be different. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Uh, and, you know, I'm I got kind of annoyed when the people that came in after that generation started kind of doing the same thing with the stuff that I loved. Um, and I'm sure in 15 years time, we're going to have people coming in and looking at the Sinestro Corps war and going, that's stupid. Here's something that's even cooler uh just because that is the nature of the uh, of, of evolution of fandom but uh so I, I I get that maybe they had Kyle and Wally not get along for the the sheer fact that uh you know it's different you know Barry and Hal were friends right away these two aren't gonna like each other but in the end uh because of
1: because of the relationship that you know Barry and Hal had, eventually Kyle and uh, Wally become a bit more friendly and actually become friends in the uh, same sort of line. So it's it's interesting that it started out with this sort of distrust or maybe dislike between the two of them, but eventually ended up with them having mutual respect for each other. So I like the uh, and I like the way this character development went on down the line. So so that about it for the issue I guess I so. think so okay awesome I will go ahead and plug a couple of podcasts for or a couple of promos for podcasts that I love and probably uh, one of the podcasts that Mr. Bailey has done the myriad podcasts that he does and after that we will come back with the scintillating review of Guy Gardner number 20 by none other than Mr. Thomas DJ. <laughs>
3: Hello boys and girls. It's your dear old Uncle Joker. We've got an internet access here in Arkham, so I'm doing a little browsing. Hmm, low cats, low cats, porn, low cats. What's this? Bailey's Batman
1: Podcast, a bi weekly podcast devoted to everything Dark Knight
3: Detective. Well, Michael Bailey, where's Bailey's Joker podcast, eh? We'll see about that. Harley, get our things. We're going to Georgia. <laughs>
2: Hey everyone, Michael Bailey here asking you to check out my bi-weekly internet radio show Bailey's Batman Podcast, or at least I'm asking you to check it out while you still can until the Joker shows up on my doorstep. Bailey's Batman Podcast is a hodgepodge type show where I discuss all aspects of the Dark Knight's history. Comics, movies, animation, even trading cards and action figures. Everything Batman related is fair game, and yes, that does include the villains, which includes the Joker so he won't kill me. New episodes drop every other Tuesday over at www.baileysbatmanpodcast.com. The site also has links to the iTunes page, the RSS feed, my Twitter handle if you're into the social media thing, and the Bailey's Batman Podcast Facebook page. Bailey's Batman Podcast is a proud member of the Batman Podcast Connection, which you can find at batmanpodcastconnection.wordpress.com. I really hope that's the UPS guy. Why can't I have Batman in my basement?
1: 27 years ago, the planet Krypton was destroyed. An infant boy and his cousin survived and have found a refuge here on Earth
0: but they were not alone. Another scion of the House of El has arrived. Why is he here?
2: What is his purpose? And how will Kal-El and Kara Zor-El respond
3: when faced with hell
2: on Earth? The New 52 Adventures of Superman is a podcast that covers the current adventures of Superman and his family of characters. Join John Wilson, J. David Weeder, and guest host Charlene Meyer as they review and discuss this latest crossover adventure. The New 52 Adventures of Superman is available on iTunes and at new 52 Supermanlipson.com
1: And we are back for if you can imagine it, an even more 90s edition of Guy Gardner Warrior. <laughs> you know, we're, we're laughing at this because it is, it, not because we're mocking it, but because it is just so ridiculously over the top.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just, there's a certain point where something becomes... So much of something that it's almost like you're like they're making fun of this, right? That that's what we're doing. This is satire because, as uh, one of the the best things that was articulated ever on Better in the Dark, uh, that put to words something that has swar- been swarming in my head for years, is that the best form of satire is when they take the subject and do it better than any than any of the quote-unquote, straight version of the stories, but also poke fun at it. So when you do, like, an action movie that's making fun of action movies, if the action is incredible, it elevates the film as a whole. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's not what happens here.
1: No, no. (laughs) Uh, sadly not. But, you know, not every film, not every book can be, you know, like a Edgar Wright, uh, what am I thinking of,
2: like the up, Dad Hot and fuzz. Fuzz. fuzz yeah, Hot
1: Fuzz. Yes, Hot Fuzz was the epitome of taking the action drama and lovingly mocking it, but also playing with it in a way in which it was like, "Hey, this is a really good action film." But unfortunately, this is not a Hot Fuzz uh, podcast. This is a Green Lantern podcast, and we're going to be covering Guy Gardner Warrior number twenty, and Mister Thomas DJ, take it away, sir.
0: Guy Gardner, Warrior number 20, Shootout at the Oa Corral, May 1994 cover date, written <laughs> by Bo Smith, art by Mitch Bird, inks by Dan Davis, colors by Stu Chaffetz, letters by Albert, I liked to ink letter a lot, De Guzman, edited by Ernie Braganza, and overseen by Kevin, I am Created Shiva, Destroyer, Shatterer of the Worlds, Dooley. Nice. The Reign of Beau Smith starts with a rather dire tableau. We see Captain Adam, Martian Manhunter, and Wonder Woman being handed new ones by various fates. Cap seems to be overloaded by an energy backlash he should be able to absorb. John is being engulfed by a fire that never dies out at Wundy. She's being pounded by these big lizard rock things pretty damn badly. Turning the page, we see that some of our heroes are having a very bad day. The Ray's formidable energy powers are negated by some sort of silly putty-ish thing that has swallowed both him... And Cola's the Dark Star, and according to the narrator, everyone else is either unconscious or dead. The narrator? Why, he's our man Guy Gardner, who's keeping himself protected with a yellow energy shield and that f***ing armor. (laughs) 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 And then we enter... Flash!
3: Back time! Back time!
0: To see Guy confabbing with a very, very pudgy-looking Alan Scott, the original Green Lantern. Alan is surprised to learn that Guy's been out of the loop and doesn't know about the fate of Coast City and the events of Emerald Twilight. The guy who showed up at the memorial service was an imposter, presumably the clone that will become Joe Gardner. Guy mentions that he knew some good people in Coast City and taught some special kids there. Anyone who dared mess with the memorial is going to answer to him. And then Colas the Dark Star arrives with some more pieces of the puzzle, claiming many lanterns, including Hal Jordan, have disappeared and others have shown up dead. Darkstar thinks there may be a connection between this and the weird happenings at Coast City. Guy reaches into his bag of outdated references and calls Colas Kojak, puts down the Darkstars, and decides he has to head off. Because it's not Denmark where things are rotten, it's Ola. Alan Scott and Darkstar go to rouse the Justice League for backup, but Guy isn't having that. If anyone is going to rouse the League, it's him, and no Dimstar is going to usurp his authority. More insults are leveled, and you know what that means. It's Andy Leland's patented Fighting McFighting sign! The two heroes exchange energy blasts, but luckily Wonder Woman and, I guess that's the Justice League, arrive to defuse the situation. A quick exposition summit leads to the whole mess of heroes deciding they have to investigate, and Guy takes point, insisting he's going to go to Oa and asking for backup. After putting the Ray in his place, insulting the Dark Star once more, because that's what Guy does, and calling Alan an old, old, old man, the punchy, punchy run-run is about to resume. But it's Wonder Woman who steps forward and tells everyone that Guy is right. After all, he has the most familiarity with Ella. Alan sneers that Wonder Woman is right, but he doesn't approve of Guy's method, resulting in Guy retorting that the original GL needs to get used to it. Aresia, who has apparently been hanging in the background for the last seven pages, steps up and wants to go so she can contact Kilowog, but Guy nixes the idea, claiming her lack of superpowers will be a liability. Arisa stalks off after apparently showing the readers her ass. <laughs> Guy tells the others that if they want out of this mission, now is the time. But the gathered heroes stand fast. The leaguers and the Darkstar go off to make preparations, but Guy stops Wonder Woman, stammering out something. Wonder Woman says he's welcome, and asks him to call her Diana, because she's, like, hot and stuff. (laughs) Get used to this, people. Bo Smith has some very specific ideas about Guy and Wendy. We jump ahead in time, but still in... FLORIDA! The team is gathering, and Guy is back in that stupid-ass suit of armor. Suddenly, Aresia calls out to Guy. It it turns out she turns in her Henley and her Daisy Dukes for even less clothing, some wacky and dangerous-looking high heels that end in buccaneer flares, and a gun bigger than her head. It's the 90s, Jake. It's the 90s.
1: Oh, dear Christ. Anyway,
0: (laughs) Guy loads everyone up onto a Yellow Ring Construct spaceship, but before he joins them, Tora arrives. It seems Ice thinks he'll need her enhanced powers if this mission is, in fact, dangerous. She asks if he was going to leave without her, and Guy says, Well, yeah, kinda, because I got 99 problems. No, no, that's not what he says.
2: (laughs) But Aresia ain't one.
0: Not only can he not stand the thought of something happening to her up on Oa, She's the only person he can trust to take care of Mace if something happens to him. Tora protests, but Guy is insistent, leaving the teary love of his life behind as the ship flies off. A single teardrop falls from Tora's face, only for it to shatter, frozen, when it hits the ground. We jump ahead again, and the yellow energy spaceship arrives at Oa and a horrific sight. Alan Scott, Guy Gardner, and Kolos leave the ship to see a sea of dead green lanterns floating in space. The Dark Star sees someone alive and amongst the dead, and it turns out to be... Probert? I don't know. A former tell that Darkstar claims is worse than Guy. Somehow, Probert knows Guy Gardner and claims he is honoring a friend's last wish. Guy, angered, wants to know who did all this. Probert claims it was one of their own. Guy suddenly goes off on his own to Oa and finds the place a Desolate Wreck, which shouldn't be a surprise to those of us who read GL number 50. He's shocked, but nowhere near as shocked as when he comes across the bleached skull of Kilowocq. Guy collapsed to his knees and John Jones comes up to lay a comforting hand on Guy's shoulders, the alien's thought on how Kilowog helped him deal with his own feelings of being an outsider. Aresia comes up behind the two, which is pretty impossible in those f***ing heels, and sees Kilowog's remains and she screams in horror and grief, collapsing into the Martian Manhunter's arms for comfort. Guy vows he'll make whoever was responsible pay for this. There's nowhere the culprit can hide, which is fortunate because that someone is not intending on hiding much longer has the lizard rock things emerge to attack our heroes and now we see each of the heroes succumbing to the fates we had seen them falling to in the first three pages through all this carnage both Aresia and Alan look up with horrified expressions on their faces they do the stereo exclamation shouting YOU and Guy looks up as well just in time for the true menace to reveal itself for Hal Jordan has emerged from the ground of Oa in a show of force and declares that this ends now
1: Excellent synopsis,
2: sir. Yes, sir. Awesome. Okay, Michael, uh, you're up. Go ahead. Oh, God. Um, (laughs) Well, uh, I was a little disturbed at the, even though it wasn't implied, you know, if this was today, the first page would be uh, paraded around the Internet as an example of rape. uh, Because we can't, as fandom, not talk about rape in the, you know, years 2000. I am no, disturbed how
1: the uh the I guess we'll fig- figure out at the end that their constructs look a lot like uh the character of Hanover Fist from the heavy metal movie, <laughs> if you remember that.
3: Which is yeah, and, and
0: on Bo's part.
1: Yeah. And how
3: much
2: spit is in Wonder Woman's mouth? <laughs> oh, she was taking a drink before she got punched uh, in the uh, face. Uh, apparently. Um we open up on action, which uh is kind of a hallmark to both Chuck Dixon. And, uh, and Bo Smith but but it's an action book so you kind of expect that the um, the whole forming of the team was kind of cool uh, I, I I know very little about the dark stars it's one of my blind spots of this era despite the fact that I have like an entire run of the book um, so it's kind of cool to see him my the thing that I took away from this opening scene more than anything is I love how Bo Smith writes Wonder Woman mm-hmm She's very no nonsense, and she—you can see the warrior beneath her. But there's softer moments, like on page uh, ten, I guess it is. I can't yeah. really see it on my screen. Yeah, page ten. Where, where you know her, you know, guy just wants to thank her, and he just you know, she puts his hand on her shoulder, says, "You're welcome, guy. Call me Diana." It's not romantic in any sense, but you get to, that there's respect. Like she looks at guy and gets him right off. Mm -hmm. you know everyone else finds guy to be obnoxious but she's like no that's just who he is and the thing about characters like guy is like all of the great gunslingers you would bring into town to take care of the outlaws well what do you do with the gunslinger afterwards the town turns against him because they don't want his kind there it's very unfair it's 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 the same with soldiers what happens to the soldier after the war is over and all they and that's all they know I think she looks at Guy and sees a kindred spirit of sorts. Like, you know, here's here's a guy that, you know, this is what he's made for. Well, um, it's, it's
1: nice that there's someone who is there in the DC universe who is able yeah. to look beyond Guy's sort of uh, stereotypical bravado and his sort of one-dimensionality and see that he's more than just this bruiser who likes to punch people with ring constructs.
0: As I alluded to in my... Uh... Summary: This is something that Bo Smith is going to develop over his run,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and um, I would love to have seen that story that he he claimed that he had plotted out, but never got to do, where for in an attempt to capture, I think it was Cobra Guy and Diana pretend to get married.
1: Oh, that would have been that would have been so
2: awesome. For my next note, I want some help. Hey, Rachel, you come here for a minute. <laughs> Uh-oh. I need your opinion. And, and Boo's going to give her opinion, too. Okay. I
0: think Boo's already giving her opinion.
2: <laughs> okay, so I want you to look at this costume and give me your first reaction to it. Now look, look at the top. Hooker jam. Okay, now look at the... <laughs> okay, hooker jam. Okay, now look at the boots. Um, well, well. Here's the thing. She's wearing. Her foot. Yeah, she's wearing armored boots that have a heel on them, but still look <laughs> like an '80s reject with the thing unfurling under it. So it I, looks
0: I, like she's wearing boots over the armored
2: boots. To... Yeah, she is because. Oh God.
1: Support on the knee. She'll rip her knee out
2: with those heels. So okay. I, I just like getting your opinions on these things. Anyone who puts them in heels is absolutely stupid the other word I'm thinking? Okay. So, okay. I mean, What's any with creator the- who does that, she run around in high heels for like three hours and they'll never put a superhero in heels again. Because so that made me wonder woman well, who's invulnerable. If you're invulnerable, I guess you get passed. Or she'll. Okay. And that was the word from Mrs. Bailey.
0: What, what I want to know is what is up with the freaking Pete the Dog eye patch?
2: <laughs> yeah, like is that like a like a thing where it has a readout? And it's giving her like you know she's yeah. a, where she's aiming the gun or whatever. It's a, it's a targeting device. Yeah, why not go with it?
0: She still looks so, like she should be joining Stymie and uh, Alfalfa putting on a show.
2: I mean, okay, I <laughs> I'll admit this. I like the female form. You know, I I am a heterosexual male uh, that appreciates. Uh, the finer points of the female anatomy. Having said that, I don't need to see cleavage on every single costume.
1: True, it, it is a bit over the top, and uh, not only cleavage, but I think we mentioned earlier, this is a uh, this is a testament to uh, careful shaving here on this uh, issue. Oh gosh, there's uh, you know a couple of less centimeters of fabric and. You know, you're seeing all of Aresi uh who hot? That
0: that the, the cut of that, of those, I guess, for lack of a better term, briefs are just insane.
1: Yeah, and and her ass is completely hanging out. Comple- uh, uh, you know, yes, the female form is beautiful, but yeah, How sometimes she
0: doesn't have a wardrobe malfunction within the first five minutes of wearing that thing is beyond me.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's, <sighs> Mitch Bird, talented as he is, uh, and I'm sure I, I I you know I don't want to say it wasn't Mitch Bird's fault. Editorial made him do it because um, it might have been his idea, but then again, editorial might have said, "Hey, we want an outfit that kind of looks like this," and that's what he drew, and everyone agreed on it. So, you know, I, I just I one of the best things about the avengers the the, the 2012 film mm-hmm. is when black widow got ready to kick some ass at the at, in her introductory scene the first thing she did was take her heels off right it was the smartest thing i have ever seen in an action sequence of the last 10 years and it's just they don't even look good. I don't understand why people think that heels on a boot like that look sexy or good. Because really, she she does look like a space hooker. I mean, she mm-hmm. and
0: <laughs> in fact, that was going to be her code name,
2: space, <laughs> space pretty woman. Um, but when you look like like look at the fact that okay. Recently on Facebook, I saw somebody did an x-ray of a woman wearing a high heel and what it does to your foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so I'm looking at that, I'm thinking of that, and the fact that, okay, she's wearing a high heel, will armor the toe. So that when she kicks somebody, it won't break her feet. Even though standing on that high heel... Has already done the job. Will yeah. we'll do horrible, horrible things to, as my wife pointed out, her knees and ankles.
0: By the way, what is up with the f***ing mirrored glass?
2: Well, she wants the guy to see his face and as she <laughs> knees him with it. Uh, I do like the fact that she's got a handgun on both sides, yeah. um, proving that uh, you know you know pouches. So nineties, exactly. Um, and
0: and, and, a, and a, apparently a walkie-talkie.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, there's something there's
1: something on her left hip as well. So yeah,
2: and I like the fact that she's got a thing for her iPod. On uh, on her arm because you know she's gonna be like she's gonna be like
0: Abigail Whistler. She likes to have (laughs) rockin' tunes when she's killing people.
2: Putting together my playlist. Nice. (laughs) So for Orisia, it's all like carpenters music. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) I'm sorry. There isn't a man or woman alive right now that wouldn't like to see somebody getting their head blown off to um, uh, something the Carpenters did.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Note to self, Carpenters song, insert here. Okay, done.
2: Rainy days and Mondays always get me done.
3: what i've got they used to call the blues nothing is really wrong feeling like i don't belong walking around some kind of lonely cloud
1: rainy days and mondays hard
2: And apparently, I have broken Thomas. <laughs> there is no positive
0: upside to this uniform. <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, because <laughs> I think you know we're three guys that like to take the piss out of stuff, but at the same time, we'll try to at least find some redeeming quality. Yeah, okay. I mean, you look at guy, you look at Guy Gardner's armor, and it's just like, oh, uh, it's yellow, it's kind of ugly, but at least it's functional. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Kristen Bell or Catherine McPhee in this uniform, I would
2: still hate it. And that's saying something. Yeah. And apparently we have nothing to say about the rest of the issue. Very Well, no. Uh,
0: Who the hell is this Probert guy?
2: I guess he's a
1: member of the Dark Stars. Uh, my knowledge of the Dark Stars he's is pretty minimal the as
0: well. He's wearing Dark Stars uniform. That's the thing that I don't understand. Uh, uh,
1: supposedly, he has... Uh, I'm wondering if he may have shown up in Green Lantern Quarterly, because uh, he seems to know Graf Torin for some reason, and Graf was a member, or Graf was a character in the... Uh, uh, yesterday's sin storyline, so I'm wondering if he might have had some run in with him in the Green Lantern quarterly book. I need to go back and look at those, but
0: right. I'm not really certain. The
1: other uh, thing
0: that I find really bizarre about about his appearance, besides the fact that it just comes out of nowhere, is that there's the guy refers to him as a Wookie, which is not what the visual is.
1: Yeah, hmm. he's he. It, that is kind of bad writing. I mean, uh, you know, uh. If he if he were uh, more of a giant hairy sort of Sasquatch like maybe he's just that's the first reference guy could pull from his you know knowledge base about a a very large sized person.
0: It makes me curious to see what the script what Bo Smith had submitted. Hmm. Because maybe he had asked for a big hairy Sasquatchy guy.
1: Never know. But yeah, I I don't know much about the Probert character myself either, so. And, and Darkstar's uh, very limited knowledge. So,
2: Great thing about the Internet, though, is that there's a guy that's going to write in that's going to tell you the life story of Probert. Oh, thank God for that.
0: Personally, my feeling is I feel uncomfortable with any character whose name can be broken down to Probe.
2: Uh, true. <laughs> or sound like some really bad flavor of frozen yogurt. Uh <laughs> This is our protein frozen yogurt. We like to call it Provert. Um,
0: <sighs> even though I mean, and I, I'm like I said, Sean, I know that you kind of like um, Mitch Bird. I think that this issue is particularly kind of sketchy.
1: In places, yes,
0: yes, but there are some moments where he really, I mean, his Ray is atrocious. Uh, agreed. Uh, but there are some moments where I think he really does hit the mark. I love the, which page is this, the the, the page of, of Tora watching the thing fly off.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the nice thing about this is you're not shown the costume, so mm-hmm. you're not certain if it's the overly ridiculous, you know, yeah, b- boobies costume. Yeah. It could be her old costume with her just in the cape, so...
0: I also like the fact that we're, we're we're kind of bringing her back to to who she was, and this is something I I kind of liked about Bo Smith in this issue. It's the first time in a long time. I mean, he mentions like when he's talking about yeah, I remember Coast City. I met knew a lot of good people there. I taught kids there. It's the first time I think in a long time that anyone has ever mentioned the fact that that guy used to be a teacher, except in you know in passing. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that they that Bo Smith is reminding us that that this guy, given his brothers, would not be beating the crap out of people, but be teaching kids. Yeah. Um. And I think that also the the, the the Torah we see in in this scene is more in keeping with the the classic Torah than the Torah we got under Dan Vado's watch. Shame on you, Dan Vado. Shame on you. Yes. And um, another place where I think Mitch Bird really really makes it work is the two pages leading up to Guy finding Kilowog skeleton.
1: Oh yeah.
2: Mm -hmm. No, I'll agree with that. The the moment where he finds Kilowog, you know, Bo Smith brings the story to a very dramatic pause where he can sit there for a page and you can kind of, I don't want to say stew on it, but just, Realize that he has lost somebody that he retroactively considers a friend. And um, I
0: love. Oh, I'm sorry. Somebody was going to. Because, no, go
2: because, you know, it's it's the whole thing with, with the fact that Kilowog is as popular as he is never ceases to amaze me considering he showed up in Green Lantern number. Green Lantern Corps 201 and everyone's like, who's he?
0: <laughs> I love the fact that, that different different characters have very different reactions to this Mm -hmm. you know guy says nothing after this he's just like he falls to his knees and he's like asks why and he's quiet with his thoughts and we and smith doesn't show us what those thoughts are john reflects philosophically on what kilowatt meant for him to him and uh betty mcboobs a lot (laughs) she wants to throw herself in the coffin yeah is it just me, or does it look like John's coppin a feel?
1: Well <laughs> wouldn't you be? Honestly, let's 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 just come out right here. You know, she runs at you, you know, she you know, you try and hold her back and just move that hand up just a bit. Yeah. Um I really you know, again, harking back, you know, I don't know what you guys feel about it, but I really enjoy on page nineteen even though it's pretty brutal and you know Wonder Woman can take it, that she's getting the beat out of her on these on these lore panel, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it, it Davis seems or not Davis but Bird seems to capture the strength of Wonder Woman in these books, and uh, she's not this sort of frail. Uh, sort of thin person. She's she's very curvy and very muscular, but not overly muscular in yeah. a sort of She-Hulk type way. I just uh, I, I I enjoy it. I really do.
0: Well, oh, there's uh, definitely a differentiation between um, Diana's form and the forms of Betsy McBoobs a lot. Yeah, uh, Torah. I
1: think I think Diana pulls off the uh, whole running around in a a corset and Bikini briefs, much better than any of the other characters in this book. Mm-hmm. The female characters. I don't know. You know, maybe the male. I don't want to like know. Well.
2: I don't want to know.
1: likes to run around in bikini briefs. You never know.
2: You know, um, it, it constantly shocks me that no one ever did a cloning story with Tora called Torah, Torah, Torah. Oh, sh- <laughs> that's sorry. Over. <laughs> and <laughs> and we're dropping the call.
1: Um... <laughs> Mike, I am done with you professionally. <laughs> Not at all. Um, I really, you know, uh, moving on the final page.
3: Uh,
0: so, correct me if I'm wrong, is, does this make Mitch Bird the first person to draw the parallax armor after Daryl Banks?
1: Yes, I think so. I would say so.
3: And, and he Finn. doesn't
2: do a very good job with it. Uh. This isn't. A, this is it's supposed to be. Simplistic. This is supposed to be a dramatic page. This is supposed to be the reveal, and instead, it looks like Hal is trapped in a bunch of rock. With, I mean, guy's expression says, "Wow, that should have looked better."
0: <laughs> he's looking. It looks like he's about to give a sermon. <laughs>
2: Or that he's trying to desperately tap on the controls to make whatever's happening stop. I mean.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my lord. And of course, the colorist gets it wrong, too.
2: Mm
3: hmm.
0: Although, no, you know, it's kind of is... interesting that, that here, even in like the, the next issue box, they still haven't come up with his name yet because they're referring to him as Al Jordan. Yeah.
1: Well, it really, uh, it wasn't really parallax until zero hour, was it? Because I thought. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, there was Extant. Yes. Yes. Uh, That was the character that everyone thought was the villain leading up to uh, um, Zero Hour. But then, who did that turn out to be?
0: That turned out to, well, let's see. Oh, God, this is going to make my head hurt. Hank Hall becomes Monarch, who becomes, Mm -hmm. in the first issue of Zero Hour, decides... Monarch isn't scary enough, so I'm going to be extant. Uh Uh-huh. Fear my black featureless face.
2: If you want want to even get even technical about it, that was actually in the pages of Showcase 94. Yeah. Okay. There was a two-parter in Showcase 94 that introduced the whole zero-hour concept. The only reason I know that is because of the trade paperback.
0: And extant turned out to be the pawn. Uh, that, That might be where... We first hear the Parallax name, then.
2: I think so. Probably. Well, yeah, because it was after that that you had the confrontation uh, between Hal and Kyle, and it was Parallax View. Mm. Okay. And no one liked that.
1: Well, (laughs) yes. But, yeah... uh, not the most auspicious start to Mitch Bird, but I, 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 folks, let me tell you, it is going to get better. But,
0: but, I mean, to be I mean, fair to, to there, Bo Smith. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Sean. To be fair, there are the flashes of what we're going to learn to appreciate a couple of issues down the line in mm-hmm. Bo Smith's writing. I like the fact that he's not negating anything that Chuck Dixon set up. No. But he's kind of refining, uh, guy's personality from there. To show him more as kind of a, to move him away from being you know what we like to refer to as you know not, not any asshole but your kind of asshole, mm-hmm. into more of just like this quiet sort of Gary Cooperish slash Clint Eastwoodish just man of action. Yes, and I think that starts. I mean, look at how he he's not outside of you know his little insult fest with Colossus.
1: Colin Farrell, whatever.
0: He doesn't. Um, his statements, his proclamations are very. They're, they're, he's not shouting. He's like somebody's going to pay for this. There's some good people I know over, over there. I'm going to find out who this is. I'm going to mess him up. And I think this is this is leading to what uh, Bo wanted Guy to become, which is the two-fisted puncher of dinosaurs in the nose.
3: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: But unfortunately again, as we've stated before, that kind of gets thrown to the wayside in favor of giant guns. Guns hey, come out of my
0: face. Hey, Bo, Bo, I got an idea. He makes giant guns out of his hands. What? But No, you know, no I, I want him to punch no, dinosaurs. No, giant guns out of his hands.
2: No,
1: he's, okay, he's okay, an okay. adventurer. I'm, I'm I'm teaming up with this you know, this adventurer and this guy giant who's a tiger. Guns. Okay. okay, giant guns. Did I mentioned okay, guns. Okay,
2: okay, okay, okay. We'll have weapons come out of his hands, but how about we only do like you know hand weapons, like axes and knives and stuff like that? Yeah. Okay, do that. Okay. Uh, wait a second. He's guest starring over here, and plasma cannons are coming out of his hand. Ah. Yeah. I, that bothered him like a lot. That he tried to keep it kind of simple in his own title because he didn't really want to deal with the alien thing to begin with, but.
0: Yeah, he wanted to open up a bar. As you do. Which you do. Yeah, exactly. Which is what you do when you're an ex-cop, which is what Guy is at this point.
1: True. But, yeah, not the most auspicious start to uh, Bo Smith's career, but, it, ladies and gentlemen, trust me, it gets better. I know you guys uh, are reading these from CBRs, I'm thinking, mm-hmm. so you're not getting any ads, but I no. did want to mention... Uh, one thing that they had in here that I don't know if you have in your book, um, the DC Universe page, uh, around this time uh, was the uh, death of Jack Kirby. And I wanted to mention this because DC has a nice little write up on uh, Jack Kirby's passing here. And it, it goes like this It says, It's hard to decide where Jack Kirby made his greatest contribution. As an artist, he was among the first to realize that a comic book page is not a screen or a stage or a strip, it's a page with unique demands and possibilities. Jack demonstrated those possibilities and in the process helped create the visual vocabulary that gives the best comics their graphic vitality and communicative power. Everyone working in the form today owes him a debt of thanks. As a storyteller, Jack's mythic imagination was unrivaled in comics or in any other medium. He has the gift for taking the cosmic themes, casting them as superhero in science fiction stories, and through his superb graphic narrative, making them both accessible and exciting to everyone, from urchins to academics. Thor, the X-Men, the Fantastic Four, the New Gods. The list of Jack's comics mythologies is an honor roll. But his talent wasn't only for grand cosmic sagas. He did an extraordinary work in westerns, crime dramas, and most surprisingly, in in romance comics, the genre Jack and Joe Simon created. Despite a catalog of achievements that will probably never be equaled, Jack was quiet, modest, genial, a thoroughly nice guy, and a perfect model of the hard-working professional. Jack died on February 6, 1994. He was a very young man, 76. Anyone who cares about popular culture will miss Jack Kirby, the artist, and anyone who was fortunate enough to know him personally will grieve for Jack Kirby, the man. Jack Kirby, 1917 to 1994. And I just thought you know I'd put that in because that was uh, what they had in these books at the time. And to be honest, everyone in comics really owes a debt of gratitude to uh, Jack Kirby. Uh, the stuff that he's done, artist uh, you know artistically wise, just has I can't even say he's he's changed comics in a way that I don't think any other creator really has. And the fact that DC who wasn't really the uh, place where Kirby was you know, originally started out, is willing here to mention the fact that he started up Thor and the X-Men and the Fantastic Four, and give credit to his work, uh, just kind of speaks highly of him at the time. It, it, it's sad that Jack's no longer around, so I thought, you know, just kind of mention that at the end of the right. story. Very good. Well, uh, again, if... This is it. We've got uh, one place where the Green Lantern book was reprinted. It was reprinted in Green Lantern – well, a couple places, actually. Uh, It was reprinted in Green Lantern and New Dawn trade paperback, Green Lantern Emerald Twilight slash New Dawn trade paperback, and Green Lantern in Brightest Day trade paperback. So if you want to go pick those up, you can pick them up there. I also think if you're into the digital medium, uh, Comixology has them for sale as well. So you can go pick those up there. But gentlemen, thank you, thank you so much for showing up on these two issues. Michael, why don't you go ahead and uh, tell us uh, where you can be found on the internet, uh, or just tell us where you can't be found because that list will be shorter.
2: Well, actually, it's it's kind of a short list these days because I've kind of backed off doing a lot of things, uh, mainly just for my own sanity. Uh, main thing I'm doing right now, uh, and uh, you know, beginning of 2013, is over at my first. Uh, love of podcasting first show I ever did views from the long box. I have the uh, Superman at 75, the celebration of a legend going on. And uh, that's basically kind of a year long look uh, at my love of Superman and just kind of celebrating the big guy's 75th an- uh, anniversary. You can find that at views from the Check out the back catalog as well where a certain guy named Thomas DJ uh, has guessed it enough times to earn the title semi-regular co host. Um,
0: suck it, Shag.
2: <laughs> Anytime you so, can tell Shag to suck
1: it, always good.
2: Uh, you also have From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, uh, which can be found both at the com and the supermanpodcastnetwork.com. There, Jeffrey Taylor and I are looking at the post-crisis Superman podcast, uh, a half month at a, at a time because there's just so many titles and I don't know what we're going to do when we really get deep into the nineties. Oh my God. Uh, that's getting back to being weekly. Uh, there's Bailey's Batman podcast, which I've kind of put on hold for a little bit just to get, cause that's not where the muse is right now. And I really just don't have the time every Monday evening at 1130 Eastern eight thirty Pacific. I am one of the co-hosts of Radio KAL Live over at the Superman homepage. It's an hour show that goes out live where you can actually call in and stuff, which is an interesting exercise, let me tell you. And uh, there's Fortress of Bailey-tude, my blog, which is Superman-centric, where Monday through Friday I post something usually from my own personal collection of Superman and kind of showcase it, talk about it, show it off, that kind of thing. So that's pretty much it. Oh, Pad Smash. Pad Smash, yes. Incredible Hulk podcast, and right now Scott Gardner is like, Mike, I'm going to kick you in the nuts the next (laughs) time I see you. I'm also one of the men on Comics Monthly Monday or Future Freaks. Usually. Uh, And with Mr. Sean Angle, uh, I am part of Walking Dead Wednesday over at Com.
1: Thomas, uh, obviously you have some things that you're doing on the internet. Go ahead and let us know about that.
0: Okay, well, uh, you've heard reference in the last two episodes to Better in the Dark, the uh, kind of sort of bi-weekly podcast that my best friend Derek Ferguson and I do, which is two guys out of Brooklyn talking about movies, only we sometimes talk a lot about, you know, comics and dating and whether beloved Christmas songs are actually date-rape anthems and... (laughs) Baby,
1: it's cold outside. Yes. <laughs> oh, that was awesome.
0: Um, and that is that is available. I mean, it's been kind of unsteady because I've been concentrating on uh, my writing lately.
1: Yeah, you've got a lot of you got a lot of stuff in the fire there.
0: Um. Also, there is and another thing that's been very very sporadic. Uh, I hope to get something out more than four episodes out this year. Is a uh, DJ Comics Cavalcade where I look at Gold uh, Silver Age comics and. Make fun of jerks.
1: Screw you, Dr. 13.
0: That's right. Um, and here's a big uh, this is the first time I'm going to be talking about this. Uh, next weekend, I'm going to get together with Caelan uh, Conley, who is the mastermind behind tricycleoffense.com, where you can read my uh, football column, Moves Like Curtis. And apparently, there's going to be a move like Moves Like Curtis podcast if we get it worked out correctly. neat so which will mean um you know an hour of me and uh jerry we're probably put together a kind of a council of 32 people each uh, a fan of each of the the pro teams so depending upon when an issue comes up with the team i'll have that person on and we'll talk and we'll talk about that issue sounds like fun Sounds like fun. There's the three blogs. There's uh, Damn Your Ears, Damn Your Eyes, the uh, Ten Statements About movie blog. There's Sing Along Scriptures, where we get to talk about the songs of the day. And, of course, the Nocturne Travel Agency, where I'm publicizing the eminent arrival of Shadow Legion, New Roads to Hell, the first in a series of novels featuring an entirely new superhero universe. So... And there's more stuff, but we'll leave it at that. Awesome. Well,
1: guys, thank you for coming on for these past two episodes. It's been a pleasure and an honor having you on. Uh, if you ever want to come back and talk about either Guy Gardner, uh, I know Thomas will, or Green Always. Lantern, uh, please uh, drop me an email. I would love to have you on. This has been such a joy to have you guys on.
0: That
2: was a lot of fun. It
0: was well. Thank you. Guys. Oh, you know, i never turned down the the, the the chance to either talk about Guy Gardner or hang out with Michael Bailey, who is Yay. one of my who is one of my closest friends that I have not yet met in, in the flesh. Yes, sir. Well, and so it was double the it was like it was like the double mid twins. Oh, double the pleasure, double the fun. Uh, except double for double the
2: that, pithy commentary.
0: I was gonna <laughs> say except for that stupid Arisa outfit.
3: Uh,
0: double that it's shame like
1: you can <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Uh, come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, and we'll see you then. Bye, everyone. Bye. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingram. All images, stories, and music are copyrighted to respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcome too as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at justoneoftheguys, all one word, libsyn, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans the covers, and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast, and be sure to leave a review there. I'd love to read it on the next episode. You can also search for me on Facebook, I mean, you won't find me there, because I don't have to count it, but if you have enough free time to listen to me babble on about funny book characters, you obviously can spare some time to wander around on Facebook. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greenlander podcast.
2: Uh, I hope we're not. Uh, like I said, this shouldn't we're, take too long. Well, no, I've we're we're 30. we're running great. I think we're doing fantastic. I don't think there's if 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 this uh, if this uh, issue of I don't think this issue of Warrior is going to go beyond much of the previous one. No, that we covered because it's it's not the most auspicious opening for Bo Smith. No, I mean there are there are some bits and
1: pieces in there. There's there some funny lines in there. And uh, there's a few nice art things from Mitch Bird. There's a there's a panel where Wonder Woman is basically holding off uh, uh, Guy and Alan Scott and the Dark Star. And yeah. basically Guy's got this great big grin on his face like, Mom likes me best.
0: Yeah, yeah. Switch to drinking just water, he says. <laughs> it's healthier for you, he says.
1: Yeah. Enjoy
2: enjoy pissing every half hour, he said. Yeah, I was about to say, your uh, your kidneys aren't going to be happy with you. Oh, I've
0: been doing it. Well, I mean, it's gotten to the point now where it's like I've switched almost totally. It's been going on for about three months now, but still, I'm not happy sometimes.
1: Have you just given up all like caffeinated drinks and just drinking
2: water? Or?
0: Every once in a while. Okay. I'll have yeah, a I got I got to get to that
2: point again too, yeah. where I'm like drinking maybe like one Coke a day, as opposed to having a couple. And and I I have to admit I got addicted to, Dr Pepper Ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because it it it's probably one of the best tasting diet drinks ever, with the most sexist ad campaign yes. of all time.
1: See, I've 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 enjoyed Coke Zero. I mean, it obviously doesn't taste like Coke. The great but, liar. But it's it's better to me than diet coke diet coke still has that aspartame aftertaste that i don't really
2: enjoy see that's actually what bugged me about coke zero is that i'm drinking and i'm like wow this tastes like coke and then i swallow and i taste diet coke and i'm like you lied to me
1: (laughs) would you like to come on uh when we get to the uh (laughs) the dinosaur (laughs) punching one tom i mean that's (laughs) not that far away
0: yeah well i don't want to i don't want to like get the, the people sick of me
1: uh, I think that would be hard to do sir
0: but I was thinking maybe I could come back for the first uh parallax the uh, first parallax Kyle story
1: oh okay that'd be great yeah I will uh I'll keep you in mind for that and I'll uh when it gets a little closer.